1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: You are Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to an August 3rd, Thursday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, a writer at the Associated Press, Real GM, former Blazer beat writer at the Vancouver Columbian. Welcome back to Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On podcast network, where we have a wide variety of shows, NBA, NFL, you name it, we got it. And today on the show... I was joined by Gavin Shaw from Locked On Nets to talk about the Allen Crabb trade, talk about it a little bit from the Nets perspective, talk about the Nets and Blazers, some similarities there, and then also at the the end of it, we got into a little conversation about Carmelo Anthony, which you might enjoy, uh, talking a little bit about the Knicks from the guys out in New York. But before we get to that, we have some news to get to. That is concerning your favorite team, the Portland Trail Blazers. Uh, one of the n- notes of news today: Damian Lillard will have his number retired, the number one that he wore at Weber State. He will get that retired by his alma mater. That was announced today by the school. So Dame Lillard, uh, another accolade on his already stellar resume. So congratulations to Dame. Uh, for, for for that accomplishment, easily the greatest player in Weber State basketball history. Sorry to all the Wildcats out there if I if you disagree with me, but there's just I've never heard of anybody else from Weber State, so just gonna go with that take and 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 just and just let it let it sit there and let it simmer. One of the conversations that we had in the conversation with the guys from Locked On Nets, where we talked about at the end, I, I mentioned the Mellow thing, and. Today, the New York Post had a a, a story where Mark Berman interviewed Evan Turner about Carmelo Anthony and and Portland's interest in him, citing Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum going after Carmelo. And this is what Evan Turner had to say to the New York Post. I can't imagine Melo in Portland because he'd stick out walking down the street. He's Melo, a celebrity. As a player, he'd love things, though, is what is what Turner says. The crowd's crazy. There's a special crowd in Portland where if we have the right pieces, we can make a lot happen. So, uh, Evan Turner, again, uh, taking maybe a little bit of a, a pessimist's view on, on whether Mello would want to come here and also just acknowledging all of the reporting that has been done on whether Mello would come to Portland or not. Of course, he would be a celebrity because he's Carmelo Anthony, but... Uh, from a basketball perspective, there's no denying that it would be a solid fit. And Portland has the pieces that New York wants. And one of the issues which we discussed is, you know, how can Houston move the guys that they need to move to create a trade for Carmelo Anthony? How long is Carmelo Anthony going to be willing to stay in New York? And and how long does this go? And it, like I've mentioned before, it could go for a while. Uh, the Blazers extended Pat Connaughton's guarantee date until August 31st. So they have another contract that they can throw into any trade. So Evan Turner uh, coming out and talking about Carmelo Anthony in the New York newspapers. Very uh, interesting, but obviously uh, trying to get Carmelo Anthony on the team because why wouldn't you want Carmelo Anthony on the team? Because he's a solid player. Granted, I know that there's a lot of you out there who do not want Carmelo Anthony. I don't agree with you, but I know you're out there, so I'm not going to pretend like you don't exist. However, the Blazers think that it would help their team. So, And and also, given the fact that they don't have Alan Crabb anymore, they need some some shooting. They, they could use a little bit more shooting around Damon CJ. So, Evan Turner talking about the Carmelo Anthony situation may not happen, but they're trying. The Blazers are, are are doing their best to recruit him and obviously uh the team has also indicated through reports that they're trying to get Carmelo Anthony that they believe that they would be a very good team with Carmelo Anthony uh, and and I think if they added Carmelo Anthony, I think they'd be guaranteed a playoff spot. I think they would I would I could firmly put them in the playoffs if they got Melo. Cuz right now They're on the fringe, and that takes us to our next bit of news that ESPN insider Kevin Pelton, who was our guest on Monday's pod, revealed his real plus-minus projections for the East and Western Conference, and the outlook for the Blazers, according to the real plus-minus forecasts, are not too great. Pelton projects that the Blazers will finish 10th in the West with 43.8 projected wins, so... Almost three more wins than last season, but the West has gotten much better, so it's it's going to be tough in the West, and I think they need a little bit more talent, especially now that they've lost Crab, their best three-point shooter. It's They're going to need a little bit more, maybe, but, but at the same time, we could have another situation like last year where they overachieve, and everyone stays healthy, Aminu, I'm talking about mostly because he was not healthy for most of last season for the first time in his career. And I think that really negatively impacted Portland and the, but it's going to be an uphill climb. And I will say this is probably the comfort zone for, for Damian Lillard, for sure. Probably CJ McCollum as well. The, uh, being doubted, not looked at as a team that's going to be good. They're still projected to be a winning team but not a team that makes the playoffs. And so I'm sure that if I were Terry Stotts or Neil O'Shea, I would probably be pretty happy with the fact that uh, ESPN thinks that the Blazers are not going to make the playoffs because that kind of puts Damian Lillard and the Blazers, I think as a whole into their comfort zone, which was where they were when they won 44 games a couple of years ago when everyone thought they were going to win when the Vegas number was 26 and a half or something. So Yeah, uh, I think the Blazers have a lot of work to do, and the the numbers say that. So this is going to be a battle in the Western Conference. A couple of the teams that are ahead of Portland, that ESPN had ahead of Portland, the Pelicans at 9, Utah at 8, Denver at 7, Clippers at 6, Oklahoma City Thunder now with Paul George at 5, Minnesota at 4 after adding Jimmy Butler, and then the top three, probably not a surprise, Spurs, and then Rockets, and then Warriors. The Clippers probably are the biggest surprise in the Real Plus Minus, but uh, as Pelton noted in there, is that depends a lot on Danilo Gallinari and Blake Griffin being healthy, which for both of them has been a struggle for their careers. So, uh, the, the, the west is going to be tough we've been talking about this since the free agent since all the free agency moves and all the players moving to the west so this is what portland has been up against but uh now that they've lost crab it, it seems like they're hurting a little bit so uh their work is cut out for them but uh, that's that's it for the news of the day on the blazer front and we will turn it over now to my conversation with the guys from locked on nets so hope you enjoy that Rush into Old Navy today for up to 50% off store-wide. Get dresses from $15 for women, $12 for girls, plus up to 75% off clearance for the whole family right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1016 to 1020, select styles only.
2: And welcome into a Locked On crossover. Gavin Shaw, Josh Bass joining you from New York City. And on the phone, or I guess more naturally over Skype, we have Eric Gunderson of Locked On Blazers. Eric, how's it going today?
1: It's going pretty good. Uh the, the the weather here couldn't be worse. Uh at least for for us here. It's like 100 degrees and there's a bunch of smoke in the air from a forest fire. So, uh anyway, uh Good to talk basketball and be in some air conditioning right
0: now. Yeah, get a little get a little distraction from it. We, we've had it pretty bad here in New York City, but it's kind of kind of breaking a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, honestly, Gavin Zach Lowe wrote a huge article about the Nets today, so my day has been incredible. Yeah, I yeah. love any any national it, Nets talk. It, it, could, have, it could have
2: poured, it could have thundered, there could have been a hurricane. Josh would not have noticed nor cared because Zach Lowe dropped a Nets piece. Um, we are talking about a big topic in that piece on this podcast: the recent trade between the Brooklyn Nets and the Portland Trailblazers. Andrew Nicholson heading to the Great Pacific Northwest, and the Nets taking back the man they tried to get last year, Alan Crabb. Uh, Eric, from the Portland perspective, what were your thoughts on that trade and, and Portland's ability to get out of it without giving up a first-round pick, which a lot of people thought they'd have to do?
1: You know, uh, I was really surprised that they didn't have to give up a first-round pick. I think judging by the cost of, say, the Damari Carroll trade uh, and, and seeing how much it cost Toronto to get off that contract, it seemed like Portland was going to have to at least give up a first-round pick. And the, the fact that they were able to get out of that with only having to eat Nicholson's contract uh, was pretty pretty good for Portland, considering uh, what the market appeared to be for a guy getting paid like Crab is, uh, and who ha- up to this point hasn't been more than uh, you know just a good role player. But uh, I, I, I was surprised by it, but uh, at the same time, I did think that. Of all the players that Portland could have moved, Crabb was probably the one that would cost the least to move. And so from that perspective, uh, it kind of checked out. But overall, in the whole NBA market perspective, it didn't necessarily – it did surprise me that they didn't have to give up a pick.
2: Yeah, Josh, I know that was that was kind of a big concern for you when the trade was initially made because the Nets, their their goal in taking back these contracts was to accumulate a lot of picks and kind of make up for that Celtics trade.
0: Definitely. It didn't really fit in with the with kind of the mindset that Sean Marks had established with the Bojan Bogdanovich trade and also the, um, the more recent Damari Carroll trade. And when the trade went down, I looked at the Real GM incoming and outcoming picks uh, site because I figured, oh, the Blazers... They didn't give up a first rounder. It Must be because let's say they have their first rounder already up someone in twenty eighteen and twenty twenty. But no, their first round picks are pretty clean. And I was, I was honestly, I smashed a I smashed a wall in my house. <laughs> was, oh wow! I was very upset to be honest. Okay, Andy on the office did. Um, yeah, I was, I was a little bit surprised too, especially
2: given the fact that I, I think we all heard that this trade was maybe being discussed before the draft, and that was when Portland had three first round picks. Eric, was this something you thought could have maybe even happened earlier, and Portland could have used some draft capital there?
1: You know, I, I thought they may, but uh, there was some reporting out here at the time that Portland wasn't just going to give up those picks to move a contract. Uh, they felt confident that they could do that without giving up a pick, and they proved they were proven right. Uh, but with, with, with Crab, I think he is a little bit better than some of the guys that, that we just discussed. He has his limitations as a player for sure, but I do think, especially... In a situation like he'll be in in Brooklyn, I think that he can actually be a pretty effective player if the offense can kind of shift towards his strengths. And now, and that was just never going to happen in Portland with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and Evan Turner too taking more and more touches. And then you throw in Yusuf Nurkic, who also is going to need touches. And so you 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 have a lot of guys that need the ball and. It, I just don't think that Crab was ever going to reach his potential with the Blazers.
2: So, so given that context, what did you think at the time last year when Portland matched that offer? Because I know between that and Tyler Johnson, people were kind of shocked. Brooklyn came up empty because the offers, frankly, seemed kind of obscene, even even given the salary cap landscape we were dealing with at that time.
1: Uh, I, I for for me going into free agency. To look back on it, I was extremely taken aback by the Evan Turner contract because I knew that Crab was going to be expensive. I I I thought that with him coming off the season he had, him being young, him being a second-round pick, all that stuff, you know, and, and and how he was probably the third or fourth best player, you know, at least one of the five best players on a team that surprised a lot of people. So I I thought that he would get a lot of money. I was surprised at the number that Brooklyn gave him with all the incentives and all that. And I I, I thought that they would match uh, when it happened, but I did not necessarily think that they would match Crab and sign somebody like Evan Turner to the amount of money that they signed him at. So that that was, I think, the, the biggest surprise, that they matched Crab wasn't as big of a surprise to me at the time.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that the Evan Turner contract, a lot of people did try to justify it that uh, Portland won sort of a, another lead ball handler for the second unit. But I think that $70 million um, for a backup and someone that's never going to really be starting for you, it was exorbitant. And then combining that with Crab also, it really did surprise me. And I was kind of shocked when the Blazers did match that. So you mentioned that um, that you were kind of, you think that Crab could expand his role a little bit in Brooklyn. And if he can play more to his strengths, he can become a good offensive player. Um, that's kind of surprising for me because I've read a lot of uh, Blazers' SB Nation posts and that sort of thing last few days since the trade and it seems like they were pretty down on him like could you give us a, sort of a summary of his season
1: yeah he he definitely had a down season at least at the start it really uh did not look good at the start of the season I think his effort on the defensive end was just not there and then I think the I I think part of the 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 Portland group think about Crab is influenced a lot by the numbers by his contract numbers and if you take that away, I think that he can be a useful two way player. And I think part of the problem was is I just I i I'd gotten to know Crab and I, I had seen him play and I, I really did think that he he needs to be engaged. And I just don't necessarily think that he was as engaged. Now that's not an excuse for a guy that was getting paid. 20 million or close to 20 million, but I just think that's just kind of how it is. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's how it should be. It's just how it is. And he, his defensive effort waned. And then when Lillard got hurt around Christmas, I, I, there was one game that really stood out to me against Toronto where he guarded DeRozan the entire game. DeRozan scored like six points and he just locked him up the whole game. And that's the type of stuff that he can do and he's capable of doing. But I just think that the role not being there, not being as involved in the offense, I think spatially Turner occupies a lot of the same spaces that crab occupies in the mid range where crab thrived and, He's never going to be a guy that's going to be like, all right, run the pick and roll with Crabb and ISO him up, and he's just going to square up and go to work. He's a guy that needs teammates to set him up, needs to come off screens and be moving a lot, and that's really his strength. And if you can – to me, the comparison that I go to a lot of times right now is J.J. Redick or maybe like a Richard Hamilton type of player where if you get him moving off of screens and you make an effort to get him open – he can knock down shots. And I think that that's the type of offensive player that he can be for Brooklyn.
2: Yeah, and I think that's really what they're looking for because that was kind of the whole predication of the Nets' offense last year. Um, as Zach Lowe pointed out in that article, they generated the second most open threes in all of basketball and hit those open threes at the fifth worst rate in all of basketball. And Krabs, a guy that could pretty realistically make up a lot of that gap, was the third best um, three-point shooter in the NBA in terms of percentage last year. Um, You kind of hinted at this in, I I guess, your last piece of analysis, Eric, but he was a guy who, I I think the statistic is 86% of the time he had the ball, he'd shoot it within two seconds or less. 56% of his shots came off catch and shoot opportunities. Is this a guy, you said he's never going to run a pick and roll, but is he a guy who can attack a closeout or is that... It's developing that part of his game, just not very realistic at this point.
1: Uh, he he got better at that, I thought, this year. I thought he really made more of an effort to attack the rim a little bit more this season, and I you could see that in some of the shot locations that he was doing that a little bit more this year. One of the areas where he did suffer was uh, or had a little bit less volume was in that mid range long two area where he'd take like a, you know, someone would close out, pump fake, dribble one and then shoot. So, you know, I I guess the, hezzy pull up Jimbo, if you will. (laughs) Uh, And and, and he, he can do that. And I I think that, you know, yeah, he's never going to be a guy that's going to be like a lead ball handler or, or anything like that. But I think he can attack a closeout. I think he can get to that one dribble pull up and, Uh, he improved in that in those areas I thought I the defense was one of the just the bigger issues for me this year with him but uh, again you you feel good and you make some shots and you play a little bit more defense I mean anybody that's played basketball before has felt that feeling and I think that with Crabb I just think that those opportunities weren't there and I think the stage in Brooklyn, the opportunity, you know, I, I think will be a good opportunity. I think he has a really good shot to to improve and, and and be that type of player that can attack a closeout and be more reliable and be a little bit more versatile than just the catch-and-shoot threes. He's, he's still pretty young. I mean, he's 25.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to be a lot happier this year with him taking a lot of those shots as opposed to guys like Joe Harris and Randy Foy. But looking at it from a Portland perspective, just looking at your guys' roster, obviously— uh, you drafted two big men in the first round, Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan. It doesn't really seem like they have a natural replacement for Crabb's minutes on the roster.
1: No, uh, they do not. And in the, right now, uh, I think the trade hurts them. Uh, that's a, a very good point. Uh, the, the trade hurts them right now. I think Crab was a major part of their team. I think he played the third most minutes on the team. He did come off the bench, but he was very useful. He can hit some... He's hit big shots before down the stretch. I remember... Uh, also made big defensive plays down the stretch, a win against Houston after they beat Denver to kind of, you know, to go forward in that race for the eight spot, uh, crucial play of the game. James Harden at the top of the key crab steals the ball and, and they win the game. And, and he's got really long arms. I think he's got like a seven, seven foot wingspan for his, for his size and his defense can be very good. And it was really good when I think he was trying to fight for minutes. And I think the combination of the contract, uh, raised expectations maybe being a little dissatisfied with his role after the signing the the offer sheet with brooklyn and i think it's important to remember that when he signed the offer sheet with brooklyn he was signing up to be a starter and so when you get that idea in your head i'm going to be a starter and you come back and you're playing less minutes than you were you're getting less touches less shots i think it's only natural that you would be a little bit discouraged and so i i i think it hurts that portland doesn't have a replacement for him but you know maybe they believe Jake Lehman can step into that role and knock down three pointers off the wing uh that that seems like a a guy that could fill that role. I thought that maybe Gerald Henderson could have filled that role for them as a free agent who had been in Portland before but now he's having hip surgery so that's a that's a really good question who's gonna fill that role
0: yeah i'm I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually sure. a Maryland alum so i'm very I'm very excited that Lehman might hypothetically get a chance and uh we were really rooting for him. They kind of disappointed. Well, up well, us. Well, what's
2: your nickname for him? Jake Chick
0: fil A. He, he loved Chick fil A. I would see him at uh the Chick fil A on campus at least twice a week when he had that game. I guess I forget who it was against, but in garbage time, where he scored 21 points. Yeah, it's like the map. Yeah, might he the, I mean, the all time yeah. like scoring leader per minute. That was one of the happiest moments of my life. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: that was uh, that was a legendary. It was actually against the Warriors. He scored oh, wow, like se- yeah. it was like 17 points in like three minutes or something like that. But yeah, Jake Lehman, he might get a shot if he if he all, all he has to do is make shots. And if he can stay with guys on the perimeter too, that would be excellent because I think Pat Connaughton has gotten a couple of looks I and would otherwise be a guy that could play. But uh, you know, I think I, – I'm not really sure about him. He didn't really have a great summer league and it was his third year in summer league. And when a guy is in his third year and not really showing a dominance – a level of dominance or a level of an ability to score consistently – you know, that's concerning, and and so I think Layman right now for me of the guys that didn't really play last year, probably the best shot to get some of those minutes, and another thing too is that you mentioned they drafted a bunch of big men, uh, maybe Aminu falls more into a traditional three role where he's been switching between three and four, maybe he gets more minutes there, uh, so yeah, I think there are a lot of ways to replace Krabs' minutes, but I'm not sure uh, if it necessarily is better, but, but th- there's maybe some hope there uh, I guess Blazers fans have to hope that maybe Evan Turner, with another year under his belt, uh, he, he calls himself a feel player. And so now if he has just a better feel for all of his teammates, maybe he can be maybe a less is more type of situation, like his role in Boston with uh, being kind of the lead ball hand a lead guy there. Maybe that pays dividends for the Blazers.
2: Yeah, so this is kind of something I wanted to get into because, and, and I'm just happy you brought it up tangentially crab last season when he considered signing with Brooklyn, it was a hundred percent to be a starter this season. You would think it would go in that direction, but there's a scenario where he doesn't because they have Jeremy Lin, they have, I at least in my mind, DeAngelo Russell would be solidified as the starting two. Though Zach Lowe presented a scenario today where they'd start Lynn, uh, Karis, Lavert, and Crabb over him. But I think I think there's a plausible way this goes where he's maybe a sixth man coming off the bench. Do you think that's something that would be kind of a hindrance to him? And, and where where do you see him kind of ideally playing as a two or a three? Because that seems like it would have major implications on whether or not he's starting for this Nets team.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Uh, I I think. As a two, he's probably better just because he's a little bit bigger uh, at the two than he would be at the three. But that's not to say he can't play the three. He's played the three with the Blazers. He's played with Damon, CJ. He can be a very good defender when he's engaged. Again, and I guess my after having this experience and seeing him be a little bit discouraged, I I I think maybe the move would be to start Crab just because you know I don't maybe you don't want to risk alienating him again. And so sure. D'Angelo Russell uh, is a much more talented on ball player to create shots for other guys. But if you have Jeremy Lynn there, and and maybe you think it's a little bit redundant, maybe you bring him off the bench and you try and bolster with a little bit more defense next to Jeremy Lin, or maybe you even flip it and go with Lin off the bench and start D'Angelo with Crab to have a little bit more size and defense at the two. Uh, I I would lean into starting him either at the two or the three, and I don't really think that uh, it would really hurt that much to have him because if if Lin and Russell are going to be running pick and roll, it would help to have a dude off the weak side that can space the floor and, and knock down those open shots. Yeah, I, I know this is
2: something we're probably going to talk about a hundred times before the season starts and maybe even after the season starts, but Josh, how do you see this kind of breaking down given that we mentioned the potential ego issue with Crabb, is a guy who sees himself as a star, and Karras is potentially the future of the team. I think Jeremy's the best player of the four right now. Who, who do you see as the odd man out
0: there? Yeah, it's definitely a tough situation right now. I would probably lean towards having Karis Levert come off the bench. I think that you have to start Jeremy Lin. He's kind of the anchor of the team. D'Angelo Russell is the most talented player. And then I would kind of slot in Alan Crab at the three because it does seem like Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson are extremely high on him. And then have Karis Levert come off the bench. But it, again, it's very, it's very fluid. It's very flexible. Um, that's not even taking into account a guy like Damari Carroll who can certainly either the three or the four pretty credibly.
2: Yeah, who, who would have thought the Nets going from having very few credible NBA guys to now they're real competition for spots, so that's, that has to be exciting um, for anyone in Brooklyn. Um, Eric, as we kind of finish up here, I wanted to take kind of a big picture perspective on um, both these teams. This is something we talked about a little bit prior to recording, but I really want to dive deep on it. Um, Just the theme of NBA purgatory, I know you mentioned your perspective on it, that it's kind of boom or bust these days, and you want to be on either end of those extremes. And Portland clearly in a much better situation than the Nets, just having their own picks, having a legitimate star in Damian Lillard, heck, having a legitimate second star in C.J. McCollum, but at the same time being kind of stuck in the middle of the West which is a perspective the Nets are facing down right now as they slowly build up and up. And they openly say in, in the article we were just referencing, um, tanking isn't something they really want to do even when they get their own picks back in 2019. So how, how do you see that going from Portland's perspective?
1: You know, I, I for Portland, I think that you, know, you have Damon CJ, as you just mentioned. Those guys aren't going to tolerate – tanking those guys are not going to be happy with the team tanking they're in their primes right now and they want to compete and and I don't think in in any of the immediate future that that's going to happen and they're going to be gutting it out with those teams 6 through 10 in the west trying to make the playoffs and you know it is it is boomer bust a lot of times but I also think with the warriors I just think a lot of teams are being forced to kind of look in the mirror and re like evaluate what success means for them because it's it's going to be impossible to beat them, barring multiple injuries, and it, it's almost becoming, to me, for, for these lower-tier teams, a little bit like European soccer, where it's like you're content, you know, you don't have to win the league to have a successful, a successful season. You can be happy making the playoffs, winning a round or two, and I think that's where Portland is at right now. Granted, the players obviously think that, you know, they're going to be competing, but right now where they're at, I think they're, they're trying to make the playoffs. They're trying to compete as much as they can. And I don't think that there's any way for them to turn back because two, the two things it's, you know, the players, the two best players on the team want to compete. They don't want to lose. They're in the prime of their career. And Portland, I think as a fan base just would not be very happy with a team that is tanking. You know, this is a one major team city, uh, not counting the Timbers. And that's, that, that that's just not going to fly with a lot of the people around here. They want to win. I mean, a couple of years ago when they were projected to win 26 games, Dame, Dame and CJ and those guys, they were like, okay, well, we're going to just go at it. And the team and the, the, the city fell in love with a team that won 44 games and won one fluky playoff series, frankly, when Chris Paul and Blake got hurt, like, and, and the fans loved it. And they, and they, they went, they fought with the warriors a little bit and they had some competitive moments against them. And, I, frankly, I feel like that's that's where the expectation is for the Blazers, and I think for Brooklyn, I, I, I don't I, I think there is value I think in being pretty good, and I don't think that that being pretty good is necessarily a bad thing because it's the NBA has historically been top heavy. It's always been like this, and this and this is an extreme version of that now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think from a fan perspective. Only one team wins a championship every year, and it's extremely hard to do that. And just if you're going to be following a team on a night-to-night basis, if 45 wins is so much better, the, like losing constantly in like the last couple seasons, especially in Brooklyn, it gets demoralizing, especially when you don't have your picks. And I think from Portland's perspective, when they have two of the most dynamic offensive players in the league, just having a fun team that the city can rally behind is important, even if they're not going to, even if they don't have that championship ceiling.
2: Yeah, it's so fascinating to think about because the Nets, when when you look at them on the spectrum of the entire NBA, they're they're an outlier. I don't think there's I mean, maybe if you go back to the seventies, eighties, but in, in modern NBA basketball, there's never been a situation, and I hate to say it, but there's never been a situation quite this bad where you don't get rewarded for losing, and then and then you look at teams on maybe a more normal track and, and like a team like Portland that's been good for I think my entire life, they've always been good, not great. And you think about that, and you say, "Is that preferable to what the Seventy Sixers have been doing for the last six, seven years, where they've been god awful?" But now the light at the end of the tunnel is maybe they're the team two or three years down the road that can compete with the Warriors. I, I don't know how to answer that question, but I, I think it's something always worth talking about.
1: Definitely, I, I, I think that it's a it's a great question, and and, and Philadelphia as an experiment is still underway. You know, I, I, they they are there is light at the end of the tunnel, but then there is also. Joel Embiid may not be that healthy and, yeah. and Ben Simmons is great, but he's coming off an injury and uh, you just never know. And and I remember for a long time, it was like, everyone was like, oh, the OKC model it was like, you, you don't get stars like OKC did in the draft all the time. It just doesn't happen. And those guys come once in a blue moon. And so the being pretty good, there is value in that. And I, I agree that, I mean, the worst stretch of basketball here in Portland was the jailblazers era, and that was awful. Nobody liked that. Nobody went to games. Nobody watched games. Everyone was demoralized, just like you said. It, 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 it hurts, and so I, I think there is value in being pretty good, and I think also you, you put yourself in a position to be lucky, so to speak. Yeah. If you just win games – I mean look at Memphis. Uh, by any By the championship measure, they're not successful. But they've had playoff runs seven. They've been in the playoffs seven years in a row. They made a conference finals, and they're a a team that their fans loved. And I guess, yeah, I I guess I just, as a fan, you know, I don't what. Of course, a championship would be great, but the consolation prize isn't that bad.
2: Yeah, and from Brooklyn's perspective, I think. Well, what's kind of interesting is if they're not going to take, you ask, what's that avenue for getting lucky? And this is something that I think I was kind of tangentially aware of, and I, I hate to keep going back to it, but it was a great read that Zach Lowe article kind of made really clear to me is the way they're building that is by building up their culture and for Sean Marks trying to replicate the Spurs in every single way and little touches like investing in sports science maybe a little bit more than other teams are, or letting players' families travel with them on flights, and you let that stuff get around the league, and that combined with the market and the fact that the Knicks are going to be dysfunctional as long as I'm alive and nothing anyone can tell me will make me believe otherwise. I think there's an avenue there to get a premier free agent, especially if you build this thing up. And maybe that's when not tanking goes from insane from some from the people's perspective who are like, you got to do it if you want to win big, to, oh, wait, how are the Nets winning 50 games every year? And that's something that we're looking at maybe – five to seven years down the road. But I think it's looking more and more plausible. And this offseason made that a hell of a lot clearer for the Nets.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And, and, and yeah, that's a big difference between the Portland and Brooklyn situations is if Brooklyn can instill that culture and, and be a competent team. And they have New York as a market. And Portland, you know, it's been traditionally hard for Portland to uh get free agents that haven't played here i think when guys get to portland they usually fall in love with it but it 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 has they have to break through that that first impression and uh i i think that's always going to be a challenge for the blazers and i think they're doing a lot of things like you mentioned like the the nets are with keeping their trying to well you know trying to keep their draft pick or accumulate draft picks you know they 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 traded up and got some guys that they valued they didn't just trade their first round picks to get off contracts And they're trying to build a sustainable model of talent and culture with, you know, the guys that they have uh, leading the culture and, and trying to be, you know, players first like the Spurs and all that stuff. You know, that's kind of the model that everyone's going towards because, you know, even the Spurs have had down years, but they've always just been right there and obviously they've been more elite with it, but if you can have that culture and match it with elite talent, then that's where you get the scenario like you're talking about where you know all of a sudden you're winning 50 games and you're getting free agents, and I think the getting free agents thing is a much more likely thing for Brooklyn than it is for Portland.
0: Definitely. I'm um, Just going quickly off that building sustainably, uh, we, we're both from Manhattan, Gavin's a Knicks fan, so what's your take on sort of Dame and CJ kind of openly pining for Melo to uh, be traded to New York? Or to uh, we uh, to Portland, sorry. I'm not against it because
1: I think it would be a good fit. I I, I don't, I don't see the Mello is a better scorer than everybody else on the team, except for Damon CJ. And we just talked about, you know, building a championship team or being fun. And if you have Mello like at the three or four with Damon CJ, they're going to score a ton of points and, and they're going to be fun to watch. And I I think it would also be great to have Mello take over on some second units and kind of run the offense that way. I think he's a better passer than most people give credit for. Uh, I don't think he's going to waive the no trade clause as much as I want him to just because I think the Blazers would be a fun team. But I definitely think that they would – I think right now they're like a fringe playoff team, and I think if they got Mello, I think they would definitely make the playoffs. And uh, I I, I think that he's obviously at the back end of his career, but – you know, those are the type of players that Portland has a better chance at getting where they're, you know, kind of like a Joe Johnson in the later stages of a career type situation where he was with Utah. And I think that Melo could be just a better version of that because he's a little bit younger, a little bit more dynamic of a scorer. And I, I think it could really work. I, I I want it to happen. I just don't think it's going to because it looks like Melo's heart is set on Houston.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a scenario that becomes increasingly likely when the Rockets can't really offer the Knicks up anything. And at least up to this point, the Knicks have put up kind of a hard front. Um, I, even even as a Knicks fan, that's kind of a hypothetical that makes me smile and gets me like a little excited because I remember how good, and I, I know every single Nets fan is turning off the podcast right now, but I remember that 13-14 team that was so good and so much fun to watch. And that was kind of the one time in his career, at least his Knicks career, where he was surrounded by three-point shooting. He was surrounded by bigs that can kind of protect him and rebound. And I see that template kind of there in Portland with point guard talent that's ridiculous compared to 40-year-old Jason Kidd. So that, that would be a ton of fun. I think they'd surprise a lot of people and be a really good team. And um, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm certainly rooting for it. Uh, Eric, as we kind of wrap up here, uh, anything for you to plug? Any exciting guests this week? Because I, I know all the Nets fans. I think they're a pretty worldly bunch in general. They like to hear what's happening around the NBA. I had
1: uh, Kevin Pelton from ESPN uh, on the podcast this week, so uh, definitely check that out. Uh, and if you want to hear uh, my my other takes on Mellow, I had a, a fun conversation with my pal Corbin Smith a couple weeks ago where we talked about all the places that Mellow would love to go to in Portland that he just doesn't know he would love. Yet.
2: <laughs> that sounds awesome. I'm I'm excited to
0: listen to I it. I think Mellow would love the food truck scene in Portland. Do you have a good voodoo, oh, voodoo Donuts? Oh, yeah. Am I right? I'm all oh, in. Oh yeah. Oh Voodoo Donuts. Tasty and
1: Sons, Uh, they have Pock Pock in New York, so he doesn't, it's not, it's not that special for him, but I I think Melo would get into the food here, also, you know, pot is legal, so that's (laughs) good
0: too. That's big. That'd be great
2: for him, yeah, I, I could see a scenario where he like balloons to 300 pounds, I'm sure it'd be fun regardless. Anyways, that was Eric Gunderson, thank you so much for coming on, I highly suggest everyone check out Locked on Blazers.